0: Father, as we look to your word, we're reminded of the passage of scripture that says that the word of God is not like the flowers of the field that fade away, they're here one day and gone the next, but the word of God abides forever. So Lord, as we handle things that are eternal, we're reminded of our own lives, that we are mortals, that we are not destined for life as it is now, forever, but there will be a drastic change, Lord, and all of us one day will move into the next world to come, and so we pray that you would help us to heed your word, help us, Lord, to understand more clearly, not only the warnings of the gospel, but the promises found in the gospel. Help us, we pray, to be taught by Christ through your Holy Spirit in our time together around the word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God reigns and God rules over the world that he has made. And God has established laws in different realms of his created order. For example, as we said two weeks ago, that in the realm of nature, God has established many laws. And one of those laws is the law of sowing and reaping. And if you have your Bible, we're looking at Galatians chapter 6, which is page 1388 in your pew Bible. And we read two weeks ago and made comments on this principle where it says, whatever a man sows, verse 7, whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. So agriculturalists who deal with plants and living things and who plant all kinds of seeds in the ground, they know that there is a direct correspondence between whatever the farmer would plant into his uh, field, in the ground in seed form, there's a direct correspondence with the plant that therefore would grow from that seed at harvest at harvest time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Now I'd like to move beyond that and to consider the principle of that law, sowing and reaping, not only in the physical realm, but I'd like to consider it this morning now in the spiritual and moral realm. God has established this law of sowing and reaping. And then I'd like to read now the entire verse of 7 and verse 8. from so in Galatians chapter 6, 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever, whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the man who sows to his own flesh shall from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. There is so much packed into those verses that I'm sure you, I'm not going to adequately expound all those, but I found a very helpful summary of the big picture of what is placed before us in this text. Puritan pastor William Perkins offers this helpful summary written again in the 1600s. Here's what he said. There are two sorts of seeds which men sow in this life, good and evil. There are two kinds of sowers, spiritual men and carnal men. There are two sorts of grounds in which this seed is sown, the flesh and the spirit. And there are two sorts of harvests which men are to reap according to the seed. That is, corruption on the one hand and life on the other. There is no escaping this biblical principle. Character is shaped by our conduct. That's what this text is helping us see. Now that goes contrary to so much that's taught in our world today. Worldly experts insist that we are victims of nature. We are victims of our temperament. We are victims of our environment. Now, while it is true that some of those may impact us on some level, our environment does impact us on some level, but all of us, however, are responsible for the choices and our behaviors. Our actions have consequences that are directly related to the choices that we have made. And therefore, in this sphere of human behavior, there are inevitable and direct correspondence, consequences to our actions. Our present conduct has a direct bearing on our future condition. Now, That's a huge principle to understand that many of us sometimes lose sight of or have a hard time fully uh, buying into. Uh, commentator Leon Morris gives this warning. Don't assume that you can ignore the commandments or the laws of God and go your own way with impunity, that is, with no consequences at all. This moral and spiritual law has massive implications, what we find in verses 7 and 8 of Galatians 6. That's why I'm slowing down as we make our way through the last part of this great book. I'm sure some of you may have heard this statement made regarding how the sowing and reaping principle in the moral realm can talk about tremendous effects upon the direction of one's life. Here's a a quote by English novelist Charles Reed. Uh, He's the only one I could see uh, to whom this quote was attributed. He came up with the thought, and it's true. You sow a thought, you reap an act. You sow an act, and you reap a habit. You sow a habit eventually you will reap a character. And you sow a character, eventually you will reap a destiny. That's a powerful understanding for all of us to think through the implications of what is taught here in this passage of Scripture. Now, I realize your notes are not laid out for you, so I'm just going to give you the two, uh, the general overview of where I'm going this morning. I'm going to give you two main points. And uh, and the main points are really an understanding of the application of this principle. I've already laid out the principle for you. And so I want to look at now how there are practical outworkings of the principle found in verses 7 and 8. And so Paul sees the importance of making sure to explain this and to impact, lay this out so you can see it clearly. And he does so in two broad areas of application. First of all, there are words of warning. He says, don't be deceived. So there's a sense in which he's warning us regarding sowing to the flesh. And then he's going to give us a word of encouragement as we think about the benefits of sowing to the spirit. So my first point here is seeing the law of sowing and reaping applied in a word of warning. One type of moral spiritual sowing involves the sowing to our flesh. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what does that mean, sowing to our flesh? You remember now, the use of the term flesh here, if, you have it, if you're, not under, you're not clear on that, go back to chapter 5, and notice at the end of the chapter, Paul gives us the deeds of the flesh. He's not talking about skin and bones and blood. He's not talking about that kind of flesh. He's talking about the unredeemed part of our humanity. He's talking about the fallenness and the sinful aspect of our hearts that remains even if we're a Christian. And so you'll notice he gives some of the deeds of the flesh. There verses 19, 20, 21. Uh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these. That's not a complete list. But he gives you a sampling of what he's talking about. And so when we talk about sowing to the flesh we ask ourselves, what are we talking about? Well, I would suggest one way of looking at it is to say to sow to the flesh is to live life here and now as if that's all there is. Just live for the here and now, period. Live as if God does not exist, and you will sow to your flesh. Matter of fact, if you live as if this world is all that there is, then the way in which you live will indicate that you really are living in, 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 uh, in, in keeping with your fallen sinfulness in many different ways. It comes out in many different ways. You would live as a person as if you're the ruler of your own kingdom. You do as you please. You basically say, I'm not accountable to anyone. I'll do as I feel like is right in my own heart. And I would suggest that living according to, sowing to your flesh would also involve a process by which one would dull your conscience by either dismissing or completely ignoring the warnings of Scripture so that you move through life as if you say, I know what's best for me, and I can't be bothered by what anyone else or what God or or any of these other um, authority figures want to impose upon me. I'm going to live my life as I see fit. John Stott sort of helps us to think through this depiction of what it looks like to sow the flesh. And so I want to read a quote from several ways in which he expounds on that. He says that the seeds we sow are largely thoughts and deeds. So the idea of sowing has to do with our thought life and what we do, our actions, our choices. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we view pornography online, Every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. It's very practical. He brings it down to what we all know are areas that we struggle with. Now, it's easy to assume that these little thoughts and these little actions are no big deal. And to many people, that's the way they think. They say, well, nothing that bad seems to happen to me when I do these things, when I sow to the flesh. But I would argue, read carefully this text, and you will notice that Paul is saying, do not be fooled into thinking that these kinds of actions, these kinds of thought patterns are harmless pursuits. At some point, Paul is arguing you're going to reap what you've been sowing. Our sowing to the flesh always brings about a harvest. Now, that harvest may be delayed, and indeed it is. We do not always see the consequences for all of our sowing to the flesh that we do in our lives. It indeed may be delayed and often is. It is unseen for quite a long time. Turn with me in your Bible to a very helpful passage that I heard many times growing up, Numbers chapter 32, 23. Numbers 32, 23. You ought to memorize that, folks. Numbers 32, 23. It's easy to remember, just take the three, two, then reverse it 2 three. Very short verse, but a very powerful verse illustrating this principle. Again, some of us are deceived into thinking that it doesn't make a difference what I'm doing and I'm sowing to my flesh. Paul is arguing exactly opposite of that, saying don't be deceived. And as Tim Keller says, sins come home to roost. And here's another biblical version of the same principle. Numbers 32, 23, the end of the verse. Be sure your sin will find you out. I heard that many a time. My mother would warn me, my father would warn me, trying to help create a conscience in my mind to realize you can't fool God. You cannot sin, you cannot sow to your flesh, and somehow think that there's nothing that's going to happen as a result of that. Well, what does it mean then in practical everyday life when we say that one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption? Let's think about this word for a moment, the word corruption. That seems to be the farthest thing in the minds of somebody who is sowing to the flesh. According to the world, people in the world would say, well, I assure you that they would say the best life you can possibly have is a life in which you sow to your flesh. That's what life is all about. So they claim that the best of life involves partying and self-indulgence and out-of-control pleasure. But the Bible corrects such deceptive thinking. The Bible paints a radically different picture. The harvest is not what it may seem now. But the inevitable harvest of sowing to one's flesh is not the best life has to offer. It is exactly the opposite. Notice the word here. The word is corruption. The word corruption literally means decay, gradual decay, or decomposition. Over time, if we sow seeds of sinful thinking and sinful deeds, moral decay will set in to our soul. Things will go from bad to worse. Now, this is not a very good illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway because it's the only thing I can think of to help make it clear. But we are enjoying at this time of year the, the benefits of so much fruit and vegetables that are available to us, fresh fruit and vegetables. And suppose if you were to bring home several different kinds of fruit every day, and you bring those home, Let's say one day it's bananas. Let's say the next day you bring home some strawberries. The next day it's pineapple. The next day it's peaches, whatever. And you bring these different fruits home into a, a basket on your countertop. And on that basket, in a non-air-conditioned home, you let those fruit just sit there and sit there and sit there, day after day and week after week. It reminds me of how I used to go into my grandparents' home and in the kitchen, they would save all their scraps in order to put it on the compost pile. Well, sometimes they wouldn't get it out very quickly, and it would draw all these fruit flies all over the place. I'm like, what is this kitchen? Anyway, you've you got a bigger problem than fruit flies. If you let that, those fruit remain and sit there unrefrigerated, you're going to grow this green fuzzy mildew, right? That's the first stage on a lot of that. And then eventually, it is going to see further of the process of decomposition, after a while, there will be a smell, a putrid smell will come out of this, of, this, of these particular items. And the harvest of the corruption you will find on that kitchen counter. And see, I would argue that sin invariably brings about that decay. Sin brings about the, the falling apart of things that are meant to be held together. Sin brings about disintegration. And isn't that precisely what we see illustrated in Genesis chapter 3. Prior to the entrance of sin into the human experience, everything was good. Everything was knit together appropriately, and everything was working in, in harmony. There's a sense in which all of life was fit together with this widespread shalom, this widespread wholesomeness and wholeness to everything. But after Adam and Eve sowed to their flesh, corruption invaded their world and their life it invaded every area of their life in their relationship with each other what happened they began to blame the other person this person did this to cause the problem not me i'm not to be blamed in their enjoyment of god they no longer enjoyed their fellowship with god they're hiding from god they're afraid of god they're feeling guilty and condemned and they they're, they're living under the cloud of guilt and shame before the God they one time enjoyed such sweet fellowship. They, they have a lack of peace that now robs them of this sense of innocence and openness that they have with each other. They're, they're covering themselves. They're, they're embarrassed. They're also ashamed before each other. And in the physical world, there's this corruption and the falling apart of things as the, as the world they live in is now racked by pain and by suffering and eventually by death, So much so that we read in Genesis 5, chapter 5, that Adam had a child when he was 120, and then he lived all these years after that, and then it says this, And Adam died. It didn't seem to happen immediately, all of the corruption, but it did eventually catch up to them. And indeed, what they sowed, they reaped. Now if we sow to our flesh for example, with reckless deficit spending, and we spend only on ourselves to excess, spending more than what we have, using consumer credit, guess what? Over time, you will reap a harvest of financial debt that will experience a form of corruption in your everyday life that will lead you to a heavy burden of interest that will continually eat up your assets, what limited money you do have, it will rob you of the freedom to enjoy financial stability, and eventually, if it's not brought under control, that debt will bring you down in terms of your reputation as being a person who will pay your debts, as a person who is honorable to deal with and can be trusted in handling money. If you sow fleshly seeds of excessive drinking of alcohol or by excessive use of illegal drugs, as a refuge, as an escape from the painful emotions and experiences you may have gone through in life. You will reap a corruption of, among other things, a DWI or a DUI, a cirrhosis of the liver, possibly jail time, depending on what happens and you're in that state of mind and using illegal substances. You will also be known for your compulsive addictive behaviors, which because they're out of control, oftentimes lead a whole trail of broken relationships in one's life. Just read Proverbs 23, and you'll read further explanations in that realm. If you sow to your flesh the seeds of dishonesty in your conversations with other people around you, you will reap the corruption of a ruined reputation, of a lack of credibility, You sow to your flesh the seeds of envy. You will eventually reap a life of discontentedness, jealousy toward other people who somehow have better things than you do, and you will also be filled with resentment toward those who are enjoying what you long to have and cannot enjoy. There are many other illustrations of this. I don't have time to expand them further, but I would urge you to think about that and think carefully about that to think whatever area you want to think about in terms of where are you sowing, where is the area of your life in which you're living for yourself, contrary to what God has called you to do, and you begin to think through what are the implications of that. Where is the corruption going to happen? Certainly David was one of those experiences, following his adultery with Bathsheba. At first first it seemed as though it was a sin that he could manage. He could somehow keep this thing under control not have to suffer the effects of a widespread harvest of corruption. He demanded that this woman's husband come home from the battlefield. He assumed that he could somehow escape the consequences of his sin because this woman is now pregnant with his child, and so he was going to try to cover it up. But that failed in his attempts because this man, Uriah, refused to go home and enjoy marital relations with his wife, and therefore David schemed and plotted to have him put on the front lines and purposely put in danger's way so he would be killed, and he was. And the harvest that David reaped for years and years was characterized by decay and disintegration of his family. His child, that baby, died. His son eventually raped his half-sister Tamar. Absalom led a rebellion against his own father, A number of civil wars were fought and waged against David and his sexual sin likely influenced the sinful patterns of of sexual sin even in his own son Solomon which was his own undoing. Sowing to our flesh is not innocent, harmless fun. It is destructive to your soul. It is destructive to your family. It is destructive to society. It is destructive to your relationship with God. And so again, I plead with you, don't be duped into thinking that sowing to your flesh is no big deal. If you're a teenager, if you're a young boy or girl, would you hear clearly these warnings from Scripture? Oh, it will save you so much grief down the road in life. I'm convinced that David did rethink all these. He says, forget, Lord, um, he says, remember not the sins of my youth. There were times in his life he wished he had not sown wild oats. Indulging in sin leads to disintegration, leads to decay. You can count on it. If you live a carefree life and you're indulging your flesh, you're catering to your sinful desires, and you're refusing to repent, and you're refusing to turn from your sinful ways, the Scriptures say you will reap an eternal corruption. And that eternal corruption is punishment in hell, forever and ever. Consider, if you will, the warning that was found in Colossians chapter 3, which Jason read for us earlier. He says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Then watch this. It is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. That is, if your life is characterized by disobeying God and continuing a lifestyle of doing the things which you're sowing to the flesh, he says, you know for sure you are going to suffer the wrath of God. No wonder Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. There is the reaping if we sow to our flesh. Now, I think it's important to balance the warnings with words of encouragement. And so I want us to turn now to our second point as we apply this principle of sowing and reaping in the sense of it's a word of encouragement that Paul gives as we sow to the Spirit. Back to Galatians chapter 6 verse 8, he says, the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. He's talking again about the pattern of thinking, the pattern of deeds which are in keeping with following the direction and following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And these obviously must include a heart that is now desiring and enjoying communion with God, reveling in the Gospel, a heart that has humbly admitted to God our own sinful desires, a heart that has admitted that we do have struggles in our hearts with our deeds and our our thought life, that we do fall short of the standards of God. A heart that is repented of those efforts to try to somehow overcome these areas of rebellion against God and achieve some sort of right standing before God by our own attempts, by our own efforts to be our own Savior. But rather than that, claiming the Gospel, we claim those promises that God has given to us in His Son, Jesus Christ, the sinless one. Jesus is the one who, who kept the law and in love for us, even though we have broken His laws and are His enemies, in love Christ laid down His life for people like us who have been sowing to the flesh. And He died on the cross so that He might reap our harvest of corruption. And therefore, that His Harvest of righteousness, his harvest of obedience, his harvest of life, might be given to us to enjoy by faith as we believe upon him and therefore receive the gift of eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Indeed, those who come to Christ and believe upon him and turn from their sins, these are the ones who therefore now can invest and put our energies and our time in ways that say, I no longer have to try to earn God's benefits and enjoy the life of God. I now have received those through faith in Jesus Christ and therefore I now want to grow in grace. And that brings about the bl- blessings of reading the Word. I find that one of the great helpful aspects of Everyday life is spending time thinking and meditating on Scripture. Seeing how the Word of God does contain warnings. It does contain great encouraging promises. It contains wisdom that you cannot find anywhere else in this world. It contains the words of life. and So it's not a burden to have to read it. It's a joy to read it. It feeds my soul. It gives me clear, uh, clear encouragement as I pursue God. Live for His glory. Prayer is not just a burden that has to be checked off a list, but prayer becomes my communion with the Savior who rescued me from my sin and gave me new life. Celebrating the Lord's Supper is a time where I gather with other saints and we celebrate what God has done in knitting hearts together in communion around a blessed Savior who gave Himself for us. Sowing to the Spirit includes things like living for Christ. Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you see that Paul makes the point. He says, it, he says Paul says, We make it our aim to be well pleasing to Christ. That's really what his, his passion is, what his whole life is about, is to live for Christ and please him. No longer he says to live for myself, he says, but but for him who died for me and who rose again. Is that the way you're sowing in your life these days? To say, Lord, I'm living for you. I want to live a life that pleases you. It's not just about pleasing me. Sowing to the Spirit includes the idea of preserving the marriage bed, refusing to cohabitate prior to marriage. Sowing to the Spirit means reconciling with other believers when offenses take place. It involves repenting before your spouse when you've been involved in selfishness that has now Uh, begun to show its ugly appearance within your relationship and there's been a a stubbornness on your part or an impatience on your part that eventually has escalated into some big major disagreement that has now just taken place and there's this this awkward silence in a marriage sowing to the spirit means i repent i ask forgiveness i humble myself i say lord i want to follow the spirit's lead here in this situation i'm going to preach the gospel to myself See, there's no magical formula here. It's just basic discipleship devotion to Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 9, denial of self, taking up our cross, following Jesus. Living for Christ in every area of life. And that's why, again, I appreciate Jason reading that passage for us in, in Colossians chapter 3. I would commend that to you for further reading and reflection in the week ahead as he talks about the idea of meditating on the gospel that encourages us to say no to self saying no to the desires of our flesh. Why? Because we've been set free from the penalty of our sins on the basis of Christ's finished work on the cross, and now Christ is our life. He's the one that we're living for. It's all about Him. It's not a burden to sow to the the Spirit. It's a joy to do so, because that is where we find the communion of the Holy Spirit who is pointing us to Christ. What do we mean by eternal life? The contrast between corruption and eternal life is quite stark. It is the opposite of decay and destruction. Eternal life refers not so much now to a life that continues on as a quantity of living, like you go on and on and on, your your years never end, because in a sense we would say that the unjust who suffer in hell are still conscious. Their existence continues on, so we're not talking about just quantity of life. We're talking about a quality of life. John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life that they might know you, the one and living God, and, knows, and Him whom you sent. So it's knowing God. It's enjoying the life of God. And therefore we share and partake in the life of God. As we sow the seeds of the Gospel, it motivates our thoughts. It motivates our actions. And therefore we are now living, enjoying the favor and approval of God. Not because we're better than anyone else, not because we've made all the right choices, but because God has imparted to us the life of God. We've been brought alive and regenerated, and now we're living with a sense in which we're alive unto God and enjoying His communion and fellowship. By faith, we share in the benefits of the selfish, selfless sacrifice of Christ who has atoned for our sins on the cross. And in view of the mercies of God, in view of what God has done for us in Christ, therefore what we now are called to do is to present our bodies a living, holy sacrifice. Romans 12.1 You do this what? As a way of sowing to the Spirit. I yield myself, I yield what my abilities are, I yield my thoughts, I yield my mind, I yield my hands, I yield my feet, I yield my tongue to God. Not being conformed to this world, that is, not being sowing to the flesh, adopting worldly ways of thinking, living for myself, but I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. So I go back and again I say, as Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. Let's pray. Our Father, again, we humbly acknowledge that we have all played the part of a fool. We still do, Lord, at times minimize the significance of sowing to our own flesh Lord, we thank you that your word has tried to make these things clear to us that we might not be duped, we might not be walking foolishly in ways that, Lord, bring about such awful corruption, disintegration, decay, in our souls, moral decay. Lord, we pray that you might today help us to see Christ as the one who was sowing seeds of righteousness Seeds of obedience all of his days. Help us, Lord, to find joy and delight in knowing that what he he sowed can be reaped by us as the benefits of all that, by faith in him. I pray, Lord, that you would cause some among us today, Lord, who have been compromising and who have been slouching off the ways in which you've been sowing, even to our flesh. I pray this day, Lord, that you would give us a fresh desire to turn from those things, to repent from that. And to turn to Christ, to turn away from our sin, to turn away from a life of selfishness, the Lord, to a life of living to please you, helping to see that that's really the focus of our everyday life, helping us to see that we enjoy the life of God through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross and his resurrection. So, Father, we pray for the moments we enjoy now around the Lord's table. I pray even today, Lord, if there's someone here today, who understands and, has un- and sees themselves as under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, knowing that they've been sowing seeds to their flesh. I pray, Lord, would you impart new life to them today. Would you grant that they would come hungering and thirsting for righteousness and find it in Christ. And we pray, Father, that you would teach us all to be satisfied, to be nourished, and to be content in him and him alone. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.